Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin from Continuum. As Amy Grant famously sang in her 1997 hit, It takes a little time, some time, to turn the Titanic around. Well, at Continuum, we see this manifest all the time with some of our largest and most successful clients, who, while perhaps not literally sinking in frigid waters, are often working with us because they need to become more nimble at developing innovative solutions for their customers. Because, of course, if they can't move quickly, they're at risk of being disrupted by an iceberg. I mean, a startup that can move and pivot much more rapidly than they can. The grand irony, of course, is that one of the reasons startups are so successful is that intense pressure they have to be scrappy and come up with solutions or else risk not being able to pay the bills or their employees. So how do we help a large company act like a small one? How do you instill that sense of urgency when those pressures just aren't as present? Toby Bottorf, Vice President of Service and Experience Design at Continuum, recently worked with Vanguard, an investment management company with trillions of dollars in assets under management and over 14,000 employees. Very Titanic. He caught up recently with Joy Slaybaugh Hamilton, Vanguard's Head of Service Development for Business with Financial Professionals, to discuss what they both learned throughout their collaboration. Let's jump right in. Joy, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do, uh, what FAS does, and Vanguard more generally. Certainly. So Vanguard is the world's largest mutual fund company, and we create world-class products, mutual funds and ETFs, for people around the world to use. Our mission is helping investors reach to have their best chance of investment success. The division that I work in, the financial advisor services division is focused on helping financial advisors, giving them what they need to help their clients invest their money and be successful. My job within this division is to understand what our clients need, what financial advisors need, and come up with service solutions to help them meet those needs. Currently, we have we have some services ex already. We're working on developing new services as well, which is where we've worked with Toby and his partners at Continuum. So we have had the pleasure of working together for 14 months or so. Uh, Continuum's worked with Vanguard on projects in the past. Um, we, did, we did two things together. One was working on a specific service development uh, challenge, uh, defining an opportunity and pursuing that into design. Uh, the other was helping to uh, assess and develop Vanguard's own innovation capability uh, and proficiency in, in working along with design thinking uh, approaches and methods. What, what would you say um, your understanding was of design thinking when we began to work together? Well, candidly, Toby, my, my understanding was fairly limited. My background is one of entrepreneurial endeavors. I've created a couple different businesses before I came to Vanguard. When I came to Vanguard, I've created new initiatives. I helped build personal advisor services from the beginning. So while I very much embraced this idea of generative thinking and coming up with ideas, um, testing and learning and iterating and improving, prior to this current role and working with you, Toby, I, didn't, I don't know that I realized that there was a discipline and a science to this. It was just something that I, that I did. So when I began this job and started working with you and when I became introduced to this concept of design thinking, for me it was, it was a light bulb going off of, oh, this is what it is and there's, there's methods to this. You don't just have to figure it all out. There's methods to this and principles that you can apply. I think that, that um, 
the the point at which um, the fact that there's method and structure to this was was revealed to you is is a really crucial point um, because we I've seen that repeatedly that um, what it can feel like is entirely uncertain um, but that it is in fact really rigorous can can come as a surprise and a, and a comfort to people as they're working through very uncertain unclearly defined problems uh, I think there are two ways in which it can feel lacking in structure. One is um, listening carefully to customers and, and honoring their perceptions of their values and what they want is a surrendering of control a little bit, and that can feel a little destabilizing. And the process of iterating rapidly through ideas um, is, is when you can get started out on and sometimes must get started on before you know what the final destination is. Mm -hmm. And that's also a, a little destabilizing. Mm -hmm. I think one of the one of the things that's been um, really valuable through this last process, the last year plus that we've worked together, is through learning learning these the language, if you will, and having the vocabulary to explain to others who are not as closely involved to help them understand why we're doing what we're doing, and and really help helping reassure them. As you are, and many of you listening are probably aware, sometimes in the business, it's, it can be hard to accept and understand that <laughs> there's rich insights that come out of talking deeply with a few people, a population that is not statistically significant. But that's okay, and there's, there's a reason for that. So I think one of the things that I've most valued is um, learning how learning ways of articulating this to others that we can, so that I can bring them along with us through this process. Yeah. We, we did, we brought people along through the process and it was, um, I remember having Vanguard's own team share um, to senior leadership the first round of learning, um, not continuum, and I think that was hugely uh, important to Vanguard's acceptance of that. Um, oftentimes we find that the best case scenario is to have senior leaders come out into the field with us and see it firsthand. That can be pretty transformative. But um, the worst thing we can do is um, sequester that process from our clients and come back with conclusions um, that uh, oftentimes are surprising mm -hmm. and that can feel threatening. Mm -hmm. And there can be a reaction, um, uh, a reflexive reaction to say, well, you, I don't think you talk to enough people or I don't think you talk to the right people. Mm -hmm. um, we certainly heard that. Yes, we did. We've heard we heard that quite a bit, and and we still hear it. I think we still hear it pop up occasionally here and there. But I I do think that we're also starting to have see broader acceptance of the value of the insights that we do have. Joy, you mentioned that um, prior to coming to Vanguard, you had done some entrepreneurial work, uh, starting up some some things uh, from zero to yes. one. Um, Certainly, that was work that we were doing on the service that we were developing together. Um, we talked about the human-centered approach um, and learning from customers, but, but the other half of, of bringing design thinking to life in a big company is um, working in more entrepreneurial ways. Um, how, did you, how did your background and experience uh, outside of Vanguard help you understand what was going to be easy and hard for us? That's a... That's an, Nuanced question, Toby. <laughs> um, so I, I think I have been thinking about as an entrepreneur. You know, I was a financial advisor building a financial planning firm with another with another advisor, and 
some of the things that you have to do when you're a small business starting out is one, you have to work very quickly, right? You have these multiple external constraints that force, I think, some of the things that really help cultivate um, rapid iterative thinking. Like for one, you're a small, you're a startup, you don't have a ton of cash, so you have to work quickly and you've got to make things, um, you've got to make things work quickly or else you're going to go out of business. You also have, you know, with, with, when you have limited, um, financial backing, you sometimes have to get really creative. So I think about how I couldn't afford to, starting out, I couldn't afford to buy these really expensive financial planning softwares. So I just created really elaborate Excel spreadsheets. And it worked. It wasn't pretty, but it worked. It, it got the job done. I think one of the challenges that we have in a big corporation is deep pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, you're not forced to find the skinny, lean, cheap alternative because there, is, there are funds available that you can go for the expensive solutions. You're also not forced to work as quickly because, well, you're still going to get a paycheck every two weeks. You're, you don't have to worry about paying the light bill. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you can make those trade-offs of, oh, well, let's just get it a little bit better. It's only another week or two. Um, you don't have the hard stop of, hey, I've got to make this work so I get money in the door so that I can pay my bills and pay my people. So I think one of the things that worked for us working through this process was creating some constraints. Uh, people are more creative when they have yeah. some constraints that they need to work around. So we had some tight deadlines that we created. We scheduled some high-stakes readouts along the way that we had to be ready to represent our work. And I think my perspective, Toby, is some of our best work happened in the week or two up, the week or two before one of these high-stakes readouts. Readouts. I think that's a really good point. Um, we did uh, repeatedly have um, episodes of um, stress in a sense that we were stretched too thin, followed by um, success uh, and a little bit of astonishment that we were able to pull off what we did pull off. Yes. Um, and I saw that after we had done that two, three, maybe four times, um, the team's own self-belief in, in working in this f- uh, uncomfortably fast way on um, relatively um, ill-defined solutions, mm-hmm. um, just their confidence and will and skill increased dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that was really neat to see was how, how much how much the team did well beyond what they thought they could. So in those in those, real, those periods where we had that buckle down, crunch, we need to get this done, meet our deadlines, we did weeks worth of work in, in a few days. Uh, we saw that repeatedly, and it wasn't until we got through it that we looked back and, and realized, wow, we literally just did eight weeks of work in two. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, we didn't comment on it at the time, but the work um, maybe was even higher quality because of the the urgency and the focus that that gave us. Um, When you were talking about um, being entrepreneurial, there is, um, when you're working for your dinner, (laughs) it sharpens the mind. Uh, And and you you captured, I think, a really interesting distinction that for an entrepreneur, the difference, the choice is between doing something lean versus doing nothing at all. And at a big company, it's often the choice between doing something lean versus doing something big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we certainly saw that uh, in the work that we were doing, uh, interviewing stakeholders and understanding um, FAS's culture more broadly, we did see a bias toward big. Mm-hmm. Build it out before you know it's the right thing sometimes. 
um, and this idea that, that we were going to work from customer needs first and make the front end, the part visible to customers, as high fidelity as possible, and the back end as low, uh, you know, duct tape and bailing wire is kind of the term we use to describe that. That was a bit of a transition. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a this is a risk that's probably common in a lot of big businesses, especially companies that have strong brands. So Vanguard does have a strong brand. And I, just, I saw some numbers a while ago of, you know, if you were to quantify the value of brand, Vanguard's brand, it's in the trillions of dollars. So there is this, this cultural understanding of, hey, we can't be smirched the brand. Yeah. And sometimes I think that we can take that a little bit too far where we spend time with, well, let's just tweak the font a little bit more, let's not hurt the brand, when, when we lose sight of the big picture of like, well, <laughs> is that really gonna hurt the brand? <laughs> or is, <laughs> can we actually strengthen the brand by working a little bit faster? Yeah, nobody measures the cost of brand damage uh, that's caused by doing nothing. Right. Or doing something really, really slowly. Yes. Um, you, you bring up a really I intriguing point. I have seen in, in many big companies, um, people um, new to this way of working with copies of uh, Lean Startup under, under their arms or on their desks. And it, it troubles me a little bit that uh, they don't tease, necessarily tease apart the two ideas. I think Lean is a super valuable uh, framework um, for development, not necessarily for identifying opportunities, but for development. But the thing that I think people get wrong is uh, thinking that lean and startup are, are one thing, when they're really two. And what you're describing about a big company, having a lot of customers, having a brand with enormous financial value, startups don't have that. They can't mm -hmm. antagonize customers because they don't have any. So there's inevitably going to be a different risk profile. Um, I think Vanguard has a, has a term for that, right? We call it protect the flanks. Protect the flanks. <laughs> yes. We have magnets at every, just about everyone's desk is a magnet. <laughs> Secure the vanguard. Protect the flanks. <laughs> um, and I don't want to make light of, um, of risk management because it is very important. And in this day and age with information security is so critical um, and very important. And um, we, we, we protect our, our clients' information. Um, we take that very, very seriously, seriously what they've entrusted with us. So I don't make light of that. What I do joke, of, joke about is how sometimes we can take that concept um, a, little bit, a little bit too far and let, us, let it paralyze us yeah. into not taking action. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, we, we ran into um, some kind of versions of it that maybe didn't need to apply in the places where we saw them, but it's certainly, uh, Vanguard has um, a reputation um, well protected, well defended in an industry where not a lot of players do. Yes. So not only is it of enormous value, it's an enormous differentiator. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we're looking at some other players in the financial services industry uh, probably having years of trust issues mm -hmm. with customers and the, the accompanying loss of mm -hmm. assets under management that comes mm -hmm. with that. I think of one of the one of the lessons that I saw firsthand, Toby, is the value of if you can just get one person to be willing to try something, how that can just that demonstration can help other people just change change their 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 way of thinking, be a little bit more open minded and consider other possibilities. So I think about, you know, one of the things we struggled with early on was how are we going to get access directly to our clients? 
not only are there some regulatory issues to navigate, but there's also these clients are enormous clients. And the relationship owners for these clients are, are and rightly so, very protective of the relationships. And they mm -hmm. do not want to risk damaging relationships they've built years and years building. Um, so one of the, th I, I remember early on as we were trying to get access, it was a little, it was hard, right? It, we, we had to do a little bit of begging, yeah. <laughs> horse trading at times. But we eventually we did, get, did get a few who agreed to give us access. And I think about a year later, talking with one of the one of the relationship uh, managers who'd agreed to give us access, I was asking him, like, so what do you think about this whole process? If, you know, you've given us three, four different times, let us get in front of your clients. What do you think about this? And something that really struck me was he was candid. He said, you know, honestly, I was pretty skeptical at first, but I had some prospects that you that you all met with and they were really skeptical of Vanguard and because they were involved with helping you all think about new services and develop new services it's like they're they're now actually clients and they're great clients they're big clients for me now so I was cheering on the inside yeah. as I as I learned this but I, I I love this example as how you know some of the things that we're afraid of if we are open-minded and we explore and we find safe ways to dip a toe in the water and, and try something, we, we can uncover, hey, there's actually really big benefits to doing things differently, Things benefits we may not have even anticipated. Yeah, that um, that is, um, as I reflect on the project, one of the more satisfying things. Um, just to remember, uh, at the outset, the, the enormous difficulty in recruiting. It messed with our schedule. Um, it, it undermined, I think, um, our, our own morale if we couldn't even persuade internal people um, that this was the right way to do things or that these were um, a good use of clients' time. Um, how are we going to do that with outside audiences? But um, a, a lot of the, the folks that set up these interviews came with us and were pretty candid that they were coming with us in, in order to potentially clean up after us if we made a mess uh, in their relationship. Um, but having them see firsthand that at a bare minimum, the 60, 90 minutes we spent with people um, was a really good use of their time. They felt heard, which is something they don't often um, get. Uh, and they saw that we were trying to make progress uh, in meeting their needs uh, in a way that they could really clearly understand. So not only did the subsequent interviews get easier to, to set up, but that folks that had originally been skeptics were talking to their peers about um, the benefits of this way of working. Um, I was worried at the beginning that we were begging. We were asking for favors, and that's a well that will eventually run dry. Mm -hmm. um, and we were able to get to the point where the returns showed up. Um, if this had been something that people were waiting for, um, the benefits of, I was, I was always confident that there were going to be good returns to this, but that they were going to come early enough that we could get back in front of people using the same relationships. Was, that was nerve-wracking a little bit, but um, we got through it. Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> So continuing Vanguard, uh, we've been talking about one specific project that we worked on for a little over a year, but we've been working together as partners for about four years. Um, and from my perspective, one of the things that makes this partnership so um, satisfying, um, why I'm so delighted to work with Vanguard, is the, the clear alignment of values. Uh, continuum believes that we can drive business success by uh, making things better for our clients' customers. Um, and Vanguard has 
you know, from, from Genesis, uh, been about giving the little guy a chance mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in an industry that uh, can sometimes seem a little opaque or a little dirty even. So while I haven't worked you, with you for all four of those years, Toby, um, over the last little over a year getting to work with you, in hindsight, as I look back to some of the value of this partnership, I think there's a couple things that really stand out to me as um, what's been where, where you and, and your company have played the role in helping us move the dial. One is sometimes you just need an outside person to say it, right? Mm. To point out the emperor is, yeah. is, is robeless. There are often, yeah, there are often things people know, but um, there's career liability in saying out loud, right? Right, right. So, I, th I mean, candidly, I think that there have been some um, ways where you you have been willing to put something out there and be a little bit of a punching bag, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and absorb it, right? But but that has actually allowed us to dialogue and and move and move forward. Um, another thing that has been really valuable is helping us pace learning and pace confidence. Um, which, as I think about that, when I when I hear what I just said, it sounds like it makes no sense. I want to try to yeah. try to unpack that a little bit. I think that as you know, rational business people who ultimately are very concerned about the bottom line, trying to demand that every penny we spend delivers value to our shareholders. It's very easy for business leaders in my company to um, be be very rigor be rigorous skeptics, which mm -hmm. is important. That is important. But there's times when we demand certainty way too early. And so, as, as you know, well know, design thinking, there's a ton of uncertainty and a ton of ambiguity. And you're at the beginning, you're not going to know all the answers. Frankly, at the beginning, you may not even know all of the questions. So one of the things that I think you have helped us um, learn and what's been key to helping us advance service development and design thinking has been phasing, helping us understand that there are phases to ideation and development and helping us understand where do you need, how much confidence and certainty do you need in this phase? Um, and that's, you know, I, th I personally think, is one reason why we have been able to continue moving forward is because we've, we've been able to go to our, um, our stakeholders and ask for, ask for approval to move just to the next phase. It's not, yep. we're not asking for approval for the the whole thing down the road, it's just the next phase. Here's, here's what we know. Do we have enough confidence to move forward into the next phase, yes or no? And so far, the answer has been, has been yes. But I think, and I think you um, helping us frame things in terms of phases and what do we need to know for this phase, um, that is very different from how we've worked in the past. In the yeah. past, it's been all or nothing. Um, and when it's all or nothing, it's, you know, and there's, and you, you don't have a hundred percent confidence. Well, you're probably going to get nothing yeah. instead of all. Yeah. That's, um, I think it's crucial in that model to keep those gates really close together. Um, because you do, uh, the longer the interval is between a checkpoint, um, the more you get into an all or nothing, um, type situation, you're kind of working in a tunnel. Um, so we kept those, those gates really close together. I remember saying, uh, more than once, uh, we don't know yet and saying it fairly confidently. Um, and it was, it was about um, confidence in an, in an endpoint that we couldn't see that was really um, kind of born out of confidence in the process and our own judgment. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the things that I was 
um, monitoring a lot on the Vanguard team was the, the development of judgment and the uh, development of the confidence to work fast with mm -hmm. incomplete information. One of the things that I was most excited to see near the end as we got farther along in the project was how as we got more comfortable with um, working in ambiguity and got more comfortable with not having 100% confidence, how when people raise questions, but what about this, but what about that? It, it gave us a, you know, we had a framework to point out, hey, those questions that you're asking are critical to answer. We can't answer them in this phase. We yeah. can answer them in the next phase. Therefore, that's a reason to move this into the next phase. And it, it almost like turned things on its head, if yeah. you will, that the uncertainty became, a. it, it started pulling the project yeah. through the phases instead of stopping and blocking progress. That's a progress. really great insight. That The things that we don't know are not reasons to stop. They're pointing us in the direction where we have to learn more and where we should be going. Yes. Yeah, because I do remember that, um, you know, that, that there's one of the ways in which ideas get attacked when they're half-baked is you didn't talk to the right people, kind of relitigating the past. Mm -hmm. The other way, which you're describing, is uh, looking forward into implementation challenges. Mm -hmm. And you might have a great idea that's going to require new capabilities, and in some big companies, it might get killed straight mm -hmm. off the bat. Like, we don't know how to do that, so mm -hmm. we shouldn't even try. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have a way to go to the next step and understand what that requires a little better, maybe it requires a partnership rather than doing it yourself, mm -hmm. um, moving things forward, um, without trying to get grandiose about, we're getting there from here. Mm -hmm. um, we're not trying to get to some big 18 month out destination. We're trying to get to the next two weeks or the next four weeks, mm -hmm. uh, increasing the confidence in the ideas and our own judgment as the um, ask or the spend increases. You know, the decision to investigate is not the same as the decision to scale something. Yes. As we worked through this project, um, we were making great progress on some of the some of the smaller challenges um, about the team and the team's own confidence about the project work and its own progress. Some of the bigger challenges had to do with culture, um, specifically in trying to be more customer centered, um, trying to help customers out a little bit more on their terms. Um, what did you experience? So it's funny, Toby, you mentioned this because we know that you know, client centricity is the heart of design thinking, um, and we did encounter some challenges there. One of the th one of the things that, about Vanguard, I think, that is is a, <laughs> a bit paradoxical, is we we are very client centered, but in our own way. Um, very client centered in the sense that just the the sheer structure of the company, we are actually client-owned, um, No other, very few other financial companies are structured this way, that requires us to be very client-centered and our clients are also our shareholders, therefore everything we do has to benefit our shareholders who are also our clients. Over time though, over the last 40 years, um, I think that that has, we've seen that manifest itself in different ways. Um, our mission is giving investors their best chance for success. And over time, we've developed opinions about what does that best chance look like and what is best for investors, what is best for our clients. And I, I do think that this has morphed into, at times, a bit of a paternalistic view toward what our clients need. And, and, and so as we have been in this project focusing on trying to understand clients' needs, at times we have come up against this internal, well, we know what our clients need. 
so when we as we try to go directly to our clients there have been some questions well why why are you doing that like we know what our clients need so like why why don't you just you know talk to us we know what our clients need that has that has been challenging at times but you know i think the way we've worked through this is just get with get to some clients Mm -hmm. start talking with them hear what they have to say their insights then we can share with others hey here's what we've heard and we did learn some things that we didn't already know at Vanguard, which yeah. was a great lesson for Vanguard that we don't always know best. Yeah. I remember when we were out in the field uh, talking to investors, it was funny um, how often um, our Vanguard colleagues um, left an interview with an investor and said, can we just go back in there and help them a little bit because they're doing so much um, wrong. And we had to, you know, we, it, was a, it was an adjustment to say, um, you know, the, there's a very short uh, customer's bill of rights. Uh, Article one, you can't make me. Article two, I'm not doing it wrong. Um, the, the burden is really on us to understand where they're coming from. Everybody's life is messier uh, than we think about because we're solving for one part of it. And one part of it is never isolated in their lives. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's there are we, there are a lot of idealistic people at Vanguard that they really do want to help ever help yeah. our investors help everyone, and sometimes I think it's it's easy to lose sight of well we need to meet people where they are today yeah. and meet our clients where they are today and maybe they aren't doing the thing that objectively is best for them. Yeah. But they are who they are, and they are where they are, and let's meet them where they are and help yeah. them where they are. It, was, it wouldn't have been a scalable model to help people out door to door. Right, right. As we've been working on this project together, um, we've noticed uh, design thinking or lean practices or innovation in general um, kind of catching fire at Vanguard. Um, can you talk about some of the progress that you're seeing in other parts of the company? Yes. So a couple years ago, the senior staff, Vanguard senior staff, went out to... Stanford's design school, spent a lot of time there learning, understanding about what is innovation, what is design thinking, and came back committed to, as a company, we want to get back to our innovative roots, and we want to innovate and um, rapidly, uh, in a client-centered way, we want to um, develop solutions for our clients that will help them in the next 40 years. As a result, we've seen throughout different parts of the company pockets starting up um, or people are trying different client-centered development techniques. You mentioned lean. We've seen all sorts of different things starting up. What's very exciting is that in the last couple of weeks, Vanguard announced that we've created an innovation center. I'm really excited about this because this will be a group in downtown Philadelphia that's going to be focused on using design thinking and lean and other client-centered development techniques to um, really create new things in blue ocean spaces. This is in addition to what all the other things that are going on in the business, not instead of, but as well as. Um, I'm excited about this because this has support of Vanguard's most senior leadership. Just about all of them have been out to Stanford's design school, understanding the importance of um, client-centered development, how important that is to um, help Vanguard adapt over the next 40 years to continue to serve the needs of our clients. So with this new innovation center in downtown Philadelphia, um, I think it's, 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 it's gonna be great for the company, but it's also gonna be really great for, I think, the community as well. Philadelphia's been developing a culture, it's trying to build an innovation um, 
center in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. There are a number of schools there. There are some startups. There are some other companies building um, labs there. So Vanguard's excited to be contributing to Philadelphia's culture this way. And also, candidly, excited to gain from that culture, having access to that terrific talent that is downtown Philadelphia. Malvern is great, but let's be honest, it's not exactly a design hub in the United States. (laughs) Yeah, I anticipate that your um, recruitment will become easier and the the quality of your network, you will have much more stimulating um, perspective broadening conversations. Yes, yes, I think so. (laughs) This project that we worked on was um, at times very difficult, at times it felt uh, like we were trying uh, something impossible. Um, It was super satisfying to get through those points. For folks who are in a big organization, um, new to this way of working, um, what can you share about um, things to try to do or things to try to avoid? There's so many, Toby, so many. (laughs) Let's start with things you should do. I'll tee you off because one of the things that I I saw that was, you did, Joy, you did this on your own. I think you read the tenor of the room. There were points where we were developing ideas and the team was very uncomfortable committing to an idea. They felt like they were putting their own ego and even their own job performance on the line to speculatively throw something out there. Um, The sense that if you put it up on the wall, you're accountable to building it out. And what you did is step in and, as as a leader to this team, model some of this playful, speculative thinking and get people comfortable exploring. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Toby. In hindsight, I do think that that was key to helping the team get more comfortable and making it feel safer. Um, You know, one of the things that I did observe is as we would talk about something, if someone would share an idea that felt remotely non-Vanguardy, heads would swivel to the senior person in the room to see their reaction. What's the look on their face? How is this being received? Um, and I noticed this because if I was the most senior person in the room, they were looking at me, and I'm looking at all these people staring at me and realizing <laughs> that, oh, this is fear on their faces. i got to make this feel safe. So um, one of the things that I would do, and you, know, you and I teamed up a little bit on this, is we would just try to push the boundaries of safety and try to make the safe zone, if you will, as big as possible. One of the ways I would do this is, you know, someone would share this idea that you could tell they're a little scared to share, and I would build on it and make it more outlandish um, and put it out there and some of the ideas I put out there really were bad ideas right but they were out there and they were well outside the scope of normal vanguard consideration Um, and I think that 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 made it a little bit more comfortable for people knowing that okay it's it is it is okay to think about to talk about different things that are not normal vanguard normal and in a, in a weird way, I think um, bad ideas have a really important job to do, especially early in the process. Um, you talk about um, making the space safe uh, for folks, but also before you know what you're trying to make, the, the point of a bad idea is to be in contrast with a good idea. Crazy great ideas always will seem bad at the beginning. And so you have to have ideas that you can argue about against each other, and that's where you develop the judgment, the reference back to what customers have told you, um, what you've able, been able to conclude about what we should do for customers. Your judgment is what helps you discern the difference between a, a crazy great idea and a crazy stupid idea, because mm-hmm. at the beginning they seem kind of similar. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I also I also think you know I think what you talked about, Toby, about the debating mm-hmm. is key. And one thing that we had to reiterate, I think, over and over and over to the team was we're just talking, right? These ideas are ideas. We're talking about them. We are not going to do every single thing that we're talking about. So it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to think about it. Um, there are many, many steps between uh, where we are now and actually implementing. Yeah. So again, trying to make it safe and expand the safe zone of um, what is not just acceptable, but encouraged. Yeah, I would, for folks listening who are trying to do this for the first time, I would say um, concentrate on the kinds of conversations that your team is having. Make sure that they learn how to argue in the right way, how to uh, disagree without being disagreeable, without being personal, and bring to the argument their judgment, not their divisional representation. Like that was the thing that we saw at the beginning of the project. Somebody would be uh, evaluating an idea, good or bad, well, as a marketing person or as a software developer, um, but we got to a point where everybody was really thinking as somebody building something for my clients, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where you want the arguments to be based mm-hmm. in. And I think some of the most powerful arguments we had is when people would tie it to user data, yeah. right? And I think about, I guess technically it's an argument, but it was really, a, I think, a really valuable conversation that you and I had, Toby, where we were disagreeing on what was the user data saying, and it was both of us were coming with, well, here's the data points we heard from our users that mm-hmm. you know back up our different perspectives, and really productive conversation ended up shifting, I think, the, the concept we were working on in a pretty mm-hmm. meaningful way. So demonstrating that behavior, letting other people see and hear those kinds of conversations, how to constructively beat up an idea, how to constructively defend not your idea but the users. Um, all of that, I think, contributes to make, creating that, that space of safety for the team, which, which encourages generative thinking and encourages yeah. thinking differently. And faster and more confident work. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Cool. So looking at things outside of the scope of the project, you, it's a bit of a step, but one thing I would, if, if you can talk about it, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that was um, a bit of a revelation on the project was how our understanding of customers made us see what is, what's an asset within Vanguard in a very different way. Um, specifically, there was um, thought leadership that was um, presumed to be you know, content. We don't really know what it's for, but we push it out at people, and it's mostly got goodwill benefits. But we actually turned that model of it for investor segmentation into, we made it actionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we captured a ton of latent value in the organization mm-hmm. um, and turned it into, like, you know, we, we figured out how to refine it almost is mm-hmm. a metaphor. Yeah. So, so it's super specific. I don't know if you can say that, but. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, so what I can say is that with our thought leadership or proprietary insights, the goal all along has been let's deliver these proprietary insights and then let's have services to help people, help our clients put them in action. What I think as a, what was surprising to me through this project as we were exploring this, because we were going deep and understanding our client needs, there were some applications of this proprietary insight that I don't know we would have otherwise uncovered um, I think when, when, this, when this research was being developed, the thought leadership research was being developed, we thought that the application was going to be in one very specific area. Well, through our research, we learned that there are needs where, hey, this research actually does address it, but it's a very different area than what we thought 
um, would be valuable to our clients. And so <laughs> I think really shifted the, um, uh, certainly shifted my idea of what the application would be and is good doing really well. Like people are responding to this really well. Yeah. Joy, this has been a really stimulating conversation. Thank you for the time um, and, the, and the great stories. Thank you, Toby. I've enjoyed chatting with you today and I've enjoyed working with you over the last year plus. Cheers. Bye. The Resonance Test Podcast is where we seek out people who are consistently able to go from inspiration and cool ideas to fully implementing them. Innovation in this form can be found in all sorts of fields, from health and tech to food and the workplace. And we love hearing how different people go about doing this repeatedly. Continuum is a global innovation design consultancy with studios in Boston, Milan, Seoul, and Shanghai. At Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about Continuum and the work we do, go to continuuminnovation.com. Thanks to Joy and Toby for their great conversation today. Many thanks to Kip, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Multiple thanks to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all of his masterminding behind the scenes. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Mm-hmm.